electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. The stock market, I think, is going to have a very big day based on the massive tax cuts that we're very much in the process of getting approved. But based on the vote we had last week, the stock market has been reacting unbelievably well. And that is how the day started anyway, but not how it finished. The Dow at one point soaring more than 300 points of the highs of the day. And yes, the index did close up 58 points. But both the S&P 500 and the Nasdaq fell off sharply and ended lower. The S&P 500 having its biggest reversal since February of 2016. The Nasdaq, the bigger loser, down more than 1%. So... What changed? As tax euphoria wears off, it looks like fears of a government shutdown may be back on investor radar. Welcome to Fast Money. I'm Brian Sullivan. Thanks for being with us today. Let us start off the show by going right to Eamon Jabbers in D.C. with more. Yeah, hi, Brian. The two sides are talking again. You remember there was a kerfuffle last week, but now uh, Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi say they are going to go to the White House on Thursday to meet with the president. They're expected to hash out some negotiations over this government spending sh uh, showdown. Remember, December 8th, Friday, is the day on which the government will run out of money if they can't come up with something. Here's the statement from Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi saying, we're glad the White House has reached out and asked for a second meeting. We hope the president will go into this meeting with an open mind rather than deciding that an agreement can't be reached beforehand. What they're talking about is that moment we saw last week with the president appearing at a meeting with two empty chairs on either side of him for Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi, the Democratic leaders in Congress. The president had tweeted earlier in the day that he didn't see any possible deal with him and the Democrats, and so the Democrats decided to simply not show up to that meeting. The president went ahead with it anyway with Republican leaders and those two empty chairs as props to sort of demonstrate the fact that the Democrats hadn't come. Now the Democrats are going to the White House for a negotiation. If there is a government shutdown this year, it's not likely going to be this week, though. The expectation here is that they will be able to come up with a two-week continuing resolution. That is, just continue all the government spending as it is right now without making any changes while they have the opportunity to do some additional negotiations. That'll push it right up against Christmas and that Christmas break. And the question is, because they need Democrats on this vote, they didn't need Democrats on the tax vote last week, they will need Democrats on the vote this time around on government spending. What concessions are Republicans prepared to make to Democrats? Democrats want something in exchange for their votes, Brian. All right. Eamon Javers in D.C. Eamon, thank you very much. You so, guys, could a government shutdown trump the tax cut euphoria? We've got Guy, we've got Steve, we've got BK, we've got Tim. Welcome, hey, guys. guys. Welcome to you. Oh, well, thank I you mean, very much. Ultimately, you have a case here where I, I think the market also has just gotten very, very long a tax deal. I mean, let's be clear. I mean, the rally into this, uh, I think, has a lot to do with it. In fact, I don't think anybody believes we're actually going to have a, a ceiling impasse and that we're actually going to go into a case where the government's going to be defaulting. So I think this is all about positioning. I think this is all about where we are. Again, small caps rallied 17 percent, roughly. They were actually one of the first ones to go negative. Um, I think if you look at the stuff that's been most sensitive, uh, it was actually still not a bad day for banks. 
for transports and for industrials. And so, in fact, they, they get the biggest benefit. And, and so that's the key, right? We've had this massive, massive rally. And if you look at all the under, other indicators, you look at like the city economic surprise index, that in and of itself, the economic news has even been better than everybody expected. So it would be natural for people to be selling this news. I mean, certainly you want to be taking some profits off. It's coming to the end of the year. Yeah, you have some potential that the government's going to shut down. We've been through this multiple times before. It'll probably go longer than Friday with, when everybody expects it to go. But in the meantime, why not take something off the table and, and, and buy some nice holiday your biggest gainers. That's what and we see in rotation out of the leaders, into the laggards. That's, that's, for me, what the biggest aspect of this last couple of days ha has been. The, the stock market, to Tim's point, ahead of itself. Taxes, taxes was moving forward. We went up 300 points, 380 points in the Dow. Then mm. you start to see FANG, where people have had tremendous years. Down all, in the last exactly. month or so. All of their year-to-day performance. So guys are sitting there saying, do I want to give back my performance? Do I want to give back, even incrementally, my year? No. Sell the fact. I've got a comment and a question for Guy Adami. First, off, first, oh, first off, the comment, here's the I thing. I look good. The best, you do oh, look good. That was not the comment. That's now. a declarative statement. Oh. Here's the thing. The best performing two stocks of the S&P 500 in the last month, Foot Locker and Macy's. Beating up retail names. Little odd. I want you to get your comment on that. And secondly, is it possible that as much attention as tax reform is getting, that this is more of a bank deregulation rally because the banks have been the boss. So, Tim can speak to Macy's. We've been on the retail trade, not only Foot Locker and Macy's, but look at what's going on in Nordstrom since they reported earnings. Uh, names like Dollar Gen. I mean, this has not just been a few retail names. This has been retail and aggregate. To Steve's point, probably people buying the laggards, hoping to catch a move into your end. To answer your question, 100%. I think that's exactly what's going on. I mean, if, if tax were... Listen, if the economy was as robust and now the tax reform coming down the pike, I get all these things. President Trump saying we're going to have a great day in the market. Bond market should have gotten, in my opinion, obliterated today, and it didn't. TLT actually closed higher in the day. So you're getting a lot of mixed signals. I know a lot of people say twos, tens, not a big deal. But, you know, we've gone down to 60 basis points in two tens in a remarkable short period of time. Clearly, it doesn't make it. Nobody cares now. My question continues to be, when will people start? But to you know what? The twos tens, the guy's point, usually the flattening of that curve inspires some tailwinds for Fang. We didn't see that. That, that to me, is... Well, just it doesn't it, Steve, have to go into what the flattening of that yield curve means. Well, the flattening it could flatten, but it's why it's flattening that matters. Yes, but, but to the point of growth, people buy growth with the flattening yield curve. It's plain and it's simple. And if you just chart it, there, the, you, you could see the differences on the chart. It's clear as day. They're not doing it this time. It's rotation. Tim Seymour, when I go through the last 30 days of trading, Foot Locker, Macy's, Gap, your friends at Mattel, Advance Auto Parts, the best performing stocks and out there besides 21st Century Fox, which has a potential deal bid underneath it, as does Mattel. Which, What's right. going on? Which, which lit a fire under the media stocks, by the way. They, they, I mean, Fox really deserves credit for some big rallies. We gave it to Disney. I think it's really Fox. Back to retail, every name you just said, Brian, is, is a name that was handily beat up, not just because they were themselves seeing you know, truly some, some degradation of their margins, but obviously their top line, they were seeing deceleration, but, but the Amazoning of, and the disruption of their entire business. So you know, Macy's, to me, is a classic case of where, look, if anything, Amazon, and you've said this before, too, Brian, on this show, Amazon got a little, has gotten a little asset heavy in, in the last couple months. Look, um, Macy's was given no value for their physical presence, and meanwhile, they've turned around their online presence. 
presence. I've been along Macy's for about six weeks um, and on and off for the last three months. And, and really, it got to a place where people didn't believe they had the balance sheet to pay that dividend. In fact, they've been buying back long-end debt, expensive stuff over the last couple of weeks. One, one retail yeah, has, has room to run. So, so retail is up. XRT is up 16% in this last push forward yep. with buy the laggards. But you know what laggard is not up? The XLE. XLE is only up 5%. Energy. So there are, there are reasons, fundamental reasons, why the worst is probably out of the way for a lot of brick and mortar I'm not knocking tax reform, Steve. I guess the point I'm trying to make is that if you believe small cap stocks are supposed to benefit from tax reform more, and everybody says right. they are because they don't have the international tax breaks, they're up less than the Dow. No, the I get it. I'm saying this is more. So about, how much? Well, but, how, but no, remember, no, no, no. I mean, a we're going to focus this... on tech in a second. But how much of recently do you believe is tax reform versus maybe it's, some other stuff? It's probably 80-20. But I, what I, that's my point is when I opened up the show saying that it was rotation. For me, it's a combination of tax reform and a reason to buy those laggards. Because if you were just buying laggards, you wouldn't alone. You would buy XLE and XRT. Energy and retail, you're not seeing that. So that's why it's tax reform. Quick, and it, uh, it, Sorry, go ahead, no, no, it, It's not like tax reform is a surprise. We've been talking about it and arguing point. whether or not it's been priced into the market for six, six weeks now, maybe longer, right? So this was the last kind of exhaustion buying on the tax reform. And then you say, okay, end of the year, where am I going to go? Let me see if I can pick up some bargains. Yeah. As Tim was saying, you go into those things. End I, of the year, you got to be careful. Move. I guess my point I was trying to make is that the two groups that have done best Probably banks and retailers probably have the least exposure to tax reform of any of the groups. The banks' deregulation right. rally, we'll talk more about that. All right, another group that got hit today that we talked about just a minute ago is technology. But our next guest says that now might be the best chance to get in with some stocks down a bit. That guest, of course, a guy you know well, Carter Worth of Cornerstone Macro. He is at the plasma to break it all down. Carter. Sure. I wanted to start with the rotation last week. And we know rotation's a part of the market, but last week was unprecedented in history, and I want to just point that out right here. Here are the numbers. Unprecedented. So I've called it the great rotation last week. Just take a look. Now, tech is a sector down 2%. You'd say sort of that's a yawn for the week. Industrial's up 3 No big deal. But doing that in unison, down 2 up 3 has only happened eight times in history going back 30 plus years. Now let's go on to the next one. How about tech being down 2%? Um, okay, tech being down 2% and the S&P uh, being up one and a half, the prior uh, chart. That's only happened three times in history. And then finally, think about this, the semiconductor index, that's beta, that's cyclicality, down six while the transports were up six. That has happened, here's the number, once. One other time in history, it was March of 2000. What my point is, is that this is unprecedented rotation. The question is, do you chase the cyclicals or do you ultimately take advantage of the weakness in tech? I think it's the latter. You take advantage of the weakness in tech. Let's look at a few charts, and then I'm done. So next screen. What we have here is a group chart, and I think you'll, you'll, you'll like this. This is all financials in the S&P, all industrials, all energy, and all consumer discretion. 240 stocks with a market cap of $10.4 trillion, representing 43%. I've plotted them as though it was one secure, an equal basket. Here it comes. Okay, and so now this is that basket, essentially half the S&P. And what we know is it is trying to break out after four years of sideways. But here is the rub. This is your relative performance as a manager, as an asset allocator. If you've been in this, you've just lost a bundle. And what you just said, Macy's and Foot Locker, that's like laughable. 
Okay, let's keep going. Tech. Here's the tech sector, and important, here's the relative performance of the S&P. Uptrend, absolute, and outperforming. And what we are right now is right on the relative line that's been in effect for the past two to three years. And my hunch is we're going to bounce off this line, and I want to take advantage of weakness in tech, and I do not want to dig around in the trash and see if I can find some Foot Locker uh, and Chipotle and Macy's. No thanks. All right, Carter Worth. Carter, come on over to the desk. I think what Carter is approaching, guys, and addressing is a really, really important topic right now. The NASDAQ 100 of 32% over the past year, far outperforming every other group. Information technology, the hottest sector. Is the run done? Carter thinks it's not. What do you think? I don't think it's done either. I think that you're going to see a reversal. That might last, uh, you know, a couple of weeks. And this is the question I have for Carter. When you say that this has happened eight other times in history, has it happened for multiple weeks where this is the, this is the eighth time it's happened, but the first time it happened, it was for two weeks. So no, two it's out of typically short-lived. It, it mean reverts. But it, what it is is so incredible. Just think about the transports and the semis. 1,200 base points of spread in a five-session period. The first thing to ask is, was that really collectively people selling in their mutual funds and big managers at big asset for, and no, that's machines, it's algos, it's way too quick. In fact, we talked to all our clients, nobody did it. So the first thing is, is it's machines as much as ever. And the second thing is it can be quickly reversed. But the final thing is, you're not gonna win the race with Foot Locker. It just doesn't work. You can make money off of it, but no prudent manager is going to say, this well, is it. Well, Carter, gotta... Carter, I'll push back a bit. How long is the race that you're talking about? Well, Because people who have been running a sprint have made a lot more sure, you have in to know footlocker who, you have to know than who, Facebook. You have to know who you are in the market and what your time frame is. But for big, long-term, quote, thoughtful money, the money that we're hoping is handling the endowments and the 401ks, it doesn't act like that. And it's typically not right to go around and say, I think I should find this. It's with phrases like dash for trash. Come but but uh, isn't it worth at least noting the, the extraordinary move? What you talk about, there's, there's other three standard deviation events, too, like the, the discrepancy between the IWM and, and, the, and the triple Qs and things that should sure. be typically trading in the same direction. That, to me, augurs a ton of volatility ahead, by the way. But isn't this just about this extraordinary run that big tech had? I mean, it, they, they could do no wrong. This is the, the largest capacity place to put money, and, and everybody was there. Sure. Um, and yet... It's more extraordinary the move in, in, in the transports because remember I was tech is is a broad aggregate. The transports is only 20 stocks. To have that index move like that um, is an incredible thing. And so the 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 bull would say that's a very a risk on and economic growth and so forth. I would say it's an impetuous knee jerk reaction uh, and a, a money flow rotation. The Yogi Berra market. Nobody goes there anymore. It's too crowded. <laughs> Anybody around the table? Guy Adami, well, look up. Did look you buy at, technology I'm, I'm today? looking down because I'm looking at something. It's not that I'm not paying attention. I hear every word that CBW says. What was the question? I'm kidding. <laughs> so Micron, for example, they reported at the end of September it was a $36 stock or so. Ran up to 50 in about a week and a half. It's full round turn the whole thing. I don't think the story in Micron is over. I don't think the NAND and DRAM story is over. The SOX suggests that. I don't think that it is. I think that's just giving you an opportunity to get back in with the risk-reward that sets up extraordinarily well. But if you think about the transports, FedEx is, is roughly 15% of the IYT. And, and FedEx has every reason to be rallying right now, not only because of what's going on seasonally, but they're outperforming UPS. Their margins are growing. Um, those big-cap tech, or sorry, those high-multiple tech stocks, NVIDIA, Micron, Square, you name it. What was the term we used last week? 
They took the top off the TP. A lot of these names, basically, right. they went parabolic right. and they got yeah. cut back and, down. And, and those, there's nothing wrong those with that. More, nothing wrong. And those are the more expensive ones. It's actually things like Apple and, frankly, Microsoft right. and Facebook. But it makes sense that if when people didn't think, like they, were, they were a little hesitant to sell their tax winners because they didn't have a clear vision as to what the taxable consequences are going to be. And then all of a sudden, when you start to see moving forward on this tax policy, people started to lock in. So it was rotation. It was tax. It was a whole host right. of reasons why you can make the case. But NVIDIA down. 15% to guys, Micron down 21%, both I think are biased. I hate the term FANG stocks, but we got to use it because I know you guys use it. The thing I'm just looking at, we got to move on, is that the fact that FANG stocks are down in the past 30 days when the rest of the market has been relatively soaring. To me, to me, is that a big, is it, I actually I think it's a big deal. To me, I said, I don't think it's a big deal. I do. Um, I mean, when you, have, same thing. when you have moves like this, when you have two and three standard deviation moves, to me, that's a change of behavior in the market. And I know you may not say that the pensions and those bigger funds don't act that way, but they're also late to the game. So I don't, I'm not necessarily saying, hey, you have to go out there and short yeah. all these things, but you need to pay attention okay. to what your market's telling you. I'm glad I'm two standard deviations away from Seymour. I might <laughs> jump right over Brian <laughs> Kelly. You're coming at, right at, at you. least. You're lucky that yeah. he's between us. It's all about all right, the on deck. And that's Toronto. a lot between us. <laughs> on deck, no offense. There's a curious dynamic in the Dow that could be predicting an emerging investing theme. We'll tell you what that is and what it might mean for you and your money. Plus, the big deal of the day, CVS buying Aetna for nearly $70 billion. This is Amazon's threat in the healthcare industry looms large. The traders will tell you what names in the space they think could be next. And later on, a former energy hedge fund manager is going all in on Bitcoin. He'll be here to tell us about his new fund and just how high he sees the cryptocurrency soaring. Much more fast money right after this. And welcome back to Fast Money. Time for your move of the day. And today it is the biggest telecom ETF, ticker Vox. It rose about 1%, but don't worry. A 1% move does not tell the whole story. It's been a much better last month or so for some of these names. Frontier Communications, up 20%. Verizon, 9%. AT&T, 9%. And CenturyLink, rounding out the group, up 8% in just a week. Wow. Tim Seymour... What do you make of these moves? What well, are you, doing? I, you know, when I look at the Vox and I look at 45% of this is AT&T and Verizon, I think this is really a function of stocks that got way overdone on the downside and actually hit multi-year levels. In the case of AT&T, 33 bucks is a, is a five-year level on the stock. It's rallied, you know, roughly 12, 13% since then. By the way, I think he probably takes some profits off the table somewhere around 38 bucks. I think we're in a range bound. Obviously, a lot of uncertainty right now with AT&T, even though if you think about this time where we've been talking about extraordinary moves in higher growth stuff, you've had a very big rally back in tobacco stocks, in utilities, in big yield plays, and AT&T fits that bill. Which is weird, Steve Grasso, considering that interest rates are expected to rise. I don't understand yeah, I why the yield plays... They have been so, for, for so well, years. I know, but right. why? So, so I, I do think it's, it's more of a value... Uh, versus growth play. So I think that's number one. Number two, there are, is M&A in that space, so that caught a bid. Number three, Frontier Communications has a 42% short interest. That's why the reason that, that one outperformed. So I do think this is going to be short-lived. I think it's going to be another month until we get to the new year, but I would lock in profits on this latest but, little spike. And, and I would just say on the yield place, to me, that's also kind of a canary in the coal mine because there's a huge par por portion of this market of investors that are still seeking yield. So when you see bonds start to go up, again, and that, to me, is the warning sign for the rest of the equity market. These should actually still do well. And any day we can invent a new word like partion. Partion is, yeah. is a great show. Well, that's, that's a Bitcoin term. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs>
All right. <laughs> wow, that's that's ice cold, Brian. I mean, you really. <laughs> no, no, I made up a great one. What you did to I mean, we yeah. made up dieseline one year. That was it's a new form of fuel. It's fantastic. All right, guys, thank you. Still ahead, CBS wanting to buy Aetna for a whopping seventy billion dollars. Could this just be a portion of a number of other deals oh. in the healthcare space? <laughs> nice. The traders will tell you oh. the names. It could be ripe for a merger. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up. <laughs> just keep buying. That's what investors are doing with Bitcoin. And after you hear where one fund manager sees the cryptocurrency going, you might be buying too. Plus, something unprecedented is happening in the Dow, and it could reveal a major trend in investing. We'll tell you what that is and how to cash in when Fast Money returns. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. The Dow hitting another intraday high today. But there's something strange going on in the index involving the Dow's priciest stocks. And it might just be because of one investing trend that has been on the rise. Dom Chu back at the CNBC newsroom to break it all down. Dom. Well, Brian, it's got to feel pretty good if you've been long this market this year and even more so if you pick the right stocks. But just among the major U.S. indices, it's been the Dow that's the standout. And so much so that a handful of Dow components are now above 200 bucks a share and maybe even creeping up at that $300 mark. The Fab Four, United Health Group, $220 a share. 3M, close to 240 Goldman Sachs at over 250 bucks, And the biggest price of them all, Boeing, at around 280 since the Dow is a price-weighted index, these four stocks pack a pretty big punch when it comes to moving the index up or down. Just one of those stocks, United Healthcare, is in the top 10 when it actually comes to market value. It's worth around $216 billion. Now, that's dwarfed by the $879 billion market cap of Apple, the $633 billion of Microsoft, and the $375 of Johnson & Johnson. Now, we all know the debate about what's better, a price-weighting like the Dow or a market cap-weighting like the S&P. But so far this year, it's been the Dow that's outperformed the S&P. We also know price doesn't mean market cap. So with so many stocks reaching triple and even some quadruple digit share prices in the broader market, many are looking towards passive investing as one of the reasons why. Fewer investors actually buy stocks and just get exposure through things like funds and ETFs. S&P Dow Jones Indices analyst Howard Silverblatt notes the last time a Dow component had a share split was March of 2015. That was when Visa split four for one. Before that, Brian, it was Coca-Cola, two for one, back in August of 2012. Now, there were days back in the late 70s when, you know, IBM was a 300-some dollar stock. So are we seeing a return to those types of times? We'll see. Back over to you. All right. Thank you very much, Dominic Chu. So what do you guys think of this type of trend? Is it saying anything about the market at large. Well, I mean, passive investing has been just a massive part of this and probably had more of an effect on the VIX. And we talk about the fact that there's just no volatility out there. It's because everybody's just plowing money in day after day and just buying the market in general. So I think not only do you have these higher price stocks, but you also have this very low volatility. Some of these higher price stocks also have a good dividend. So low vol, good dividend. And passive investing, I think this continues until you know, we see people start pulling money out, which but might you, be coming. You saw hints of that, though, on Friday when I believe passive-aggressive became active investing. Did I say passive-aggressive? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, because I, I must mm, be sort of a That's just a portion of what you meant to say. Yeah. We understand. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice point by you. I'll say this. Passive is good on the way up, but when passive becomes active, it's not also on the way up. It's typically on the way down. Wow. And again, I that think was you, deep. It was yeah. deep, but I Whoa, think we got a glimpse of that on Friday. So to BK's point, I think what he's saying is 
passive is great until it becomes active, and I think Friday gave you a window as to what it could look like. I think if you look at a handful of these stocks, in fact, a, a good portion of the Dow <laughs> is actually devoted to stocks that, first of all, have had extraordinary events, and, and, and I mean actually in terms of Home Depot and, and McDonald's, you've had companies that continue to execute on a plan that really, frankly, means they've had multiple expansions. So a lot of these stocks also, I think, are very highly exposed to the Trump trade. Whatever we're calling that, these are companies that I think actually have as much exposure as any. But the companies that are benefiting from it the most, the ones that are involved in passive, passive investing, look at BlackRock. It's up 35% year to date. This is not going away. This is a bigger portion of the market year in, year out. This is how people invest for their kids. Yes, there's a place for active. But I think the market is moving yeah. towards a more passive angle. There's been side note: Is there a risk to all this passive investment, BK? Because I tell yeah. you, we've talked about all these stocks that are these ETFs. You think you're buying diversification? Really, there's four or five stocks that are 60% of these ETFs, and I worry that if everybody hits sell. Yeah. They're going to be basically flushing everything without even knowing it. And so the, it's going to reverse exactly what Guy was saying. At some point in time, when the baby boomers decide, hey, you know what? I want to retire and I want to take some money out of this market, that passive type of investing, they're going to passively take it out and it's going to start putting pressure on the downside. And I think people should just remember that just because you're in a passive fund and you're passive investing, that's a bit of a misnomer. You are making an active decision. You're actively deciding to use a market cap or a price-weighted index for your investments. So you're not really doing this kind of passive thing that everybody's sold you on. Look, I, I think we're in a place where we're probably in the longest equity and, and, and debt combined bull market in a century. Um, it makes a lot of the passive investors look like geniuses, and I just don't think this is what's going on. In fact, I think this obviously sets the stage for enormous volatility ahead, and, and therefore, I think you have to be very careful at this juncture. Real quick, so Goldman Sachs made a high, an all-time high, I think, earlier this year of 255 and change. We've been bullish in Goldman Sachs. We've all outlined different reasons why, but look at it today. It got up to basically 255. I'm not saying it failed yet, but it didn't stay there. Closed around 250 and change. That's worth watching. Recall BK's double top in Tesla about mm -hmm. two or so months ago. Wound out to be prescient call by him. Similar setup now in GS. All right, good discussion there. I have a feeling the passive investment dialogue is not anywhere near being done yet. All right, coming up, we're not anywhere near being done either. CBS is bid to buy Aetna, sending ripples across the healthcare space. What company might be the next takeover target or targets? The traders will weigh in. Plus, one former energy trader who is going all in on Bitcoin and get this, he says Bitcoin could go to 100,000 bucks. Bo Collins will be here to tell you what has him so bullish. Stick around. All right, welcome back. Well, Bitcoin hitting yet another record high today. And with all the exchanges trying to get in on the action, it is safe to say it has taken Wall Street by storm. As seen here on the latest cover of Barron's. Bob Pisani at the New York Stock Exchange, New York Bitcoin Exchange, with more on the rush for the <laughs> cryptocurrency, Bob. They're the only ones that aren't in on it right now. The race to get Bitcoin futures is now on, Brian. Today, the CBOE announced it would begin trading Bitcoin futures on December 10th. That's a Sunday evening, folks. That's the start of global trading hours. The first full day of trading would be on Monday, December 11th. Now, that would be the CME, which has announced already they, too, will begin trading Bitcoin futures on December 18th. 
that's a week later. And the Nasdaq, which is also planning to introduce futures trading in the first half of 2018. All right, what's next? The Bitcoin enthusiasts are hopeful that a Bitcoin ETF might be coming. Now, the SEC denied applications to start Bitcoin ETFs earlier in the year on the grounds that the cryptocurrency was unregulated. But CBOE head Ed Tilley said he plans to reapply with the SEC for a Bitcoin ETF. Now, the argument is a simple one. The presence of a futures market will demonstrate that the cryptocurrency is sufficiently regulated to allow ETFs to start. Now, that's the argument. And this argument may be helped by two features that will be a part of the Bitcoin futures, price limits and margin rates. So the CBOE and the CME will have margin rates of 30 and 35 percent, respectively, pretty high. In addition to being able to short Bitcoin, there's speculation about whether futures will lower or increase the volatility level of Bitcoin. So the CME, for example, says they will be using price limits that kick in during gains or losses of 7, 13 and 20 percent that would slow and in some cases halt trading. In particular, prices will not be allowed to move up or down more than 20 percent from the prior day's close. If it hits that limit, trading can only continue at or within the plus or minus minus 20% limit for the remainder of the trading session. There may even be a price war developing for this business. CBOE made a point in its press release this morning saying trading would be free, free through December. Didn't say how much it would be after that. CME says Bitcoin futures will be priced at a premium to standard equity index futures, but in line with the pricing convention of other premium products. There's a real war going on here, Brian. It's going to be very interesting to see who the winner will be. Back to you. Maybe just the beginning of it, too, as well. Bob, have a good night. Thank you very much, buddy. You One too. person getting big in on the Bitcoin boom is Bo Collins, former energy hedge fund manager, now very bullish on Bitcoin and maybe other crypto assets. And he joins us now. You know, the thing about it is, Bo, it's welcome, by the way. Thank you. In technology, when your parents start to use it, Mm-hmm. It becomes uncool, right? <laughs> Your teenagers don't want it anymore. Is there any part of you that worries that as the CBOE and the CME and the, you know, the dads of the market start to get in on this, mm-hmm. that it'll take away some of that craze? Uh, I'm not Is sure. Is it a craze? It, well, it depends on your viewpoint. It, it has certainly risen in value incredibly fast. This year it's up 14 and a half times alone, uh, Bitcoin that is. There's other cryptocurrencies that are up even more. So uh, it, it feels like a craze by every standard metric, but it, if you compare it to, say, social network effect, uh, for instance, how fast net, uh, Facebook started growing, uh, Facebook started growing, yeah. you, end up, you end up having curves that start looking similar. But with these moves that Bob's talked about and we talked about, you're going to be able to short, effectively short Bitcoin for the first time. Correct. Ever. But you're still... Very, very bullish. Well, there's a lot of applications that would have uh, this makes for, for the first time an easy way to buy essentially a long position far easier uh, than than the current methodology of owning a Bitcoin and putting it in either your own wallet or even some other wallet. If you have a futures account and that's a lot of people in the world and you and you don't feel like learning the process of owning Bitcoin or Ether or managing that risk, this is a very easy way to do it. In addition, there's some institutional applications where you can actually now take Bitcoin and, and convert it into U.S. dollar, hedge it with a futures position, and use that to earn essentially interest or some other return on your Bitcoin position the same way that you would a U.S. dollar. So, Bo, you, you've traded natural gas, another notoriously uh, <laughs> volatile asset. Correct. So, Thomas Pettifee of Interactive Brokers has said the limits on these Bitcoin futures is going to be a problem, could create a systemic risk. 
If you look at the way Bitcoin trades, up or down 20% is not that much. Are you concerned that if the market gets stopped, the futures market stops trading and the spot market keeps going, that that's going to create a problem for not just Bitcoin, but for the rest of the markets? Uh, I'm not so worried about uh, Bitcoin or the rest of the markets, mainly because there's, uh, other than the limits, there's a lot of other governors that will have a natural effect from this getting too big too fast from a futures perspective, from leverage. The first big governor is how much the margin the exchange is going to charge. My understanding, it's going to be somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 percent. So uh, the other, and that would be CME. I haven't studied the other exchanges yet. If, if you look at uh, other limiting factors, like your FCM is going to limit what size position you take. They're extremely aware of the risk. Uh, they are going to measure, in some cases, maybe even over margin the client. So there's a lot of filters that have to yeah. get uh, passed through before you end up with just pure leverage risk. At the How exchange. do you structure a Bitcoin portfolio? Uh, well, I would call it a cryptocurrency portfolio. Um, there's, if, if you look at the world of tokens or currencies, there's uh, what they would call currency proper. There's utility tokens, and then there's this class that the SEC is looking at really hard, which are essentially securities. And I think that you really want to be in all of those classes with a very mindful eye that the ICO portion of that has a lot of work to go through from a regulatory perspective. There's uh, other regulatory uh, you know, issues coming down the pike that apply to currencies as well as the uh, utility tokens. But I, we, we try to stay uh, invested in the currencies and utility tokens mostly. Well, Collins, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Good luck with the fund. Thank you very much. BK, what do you think? Uh, well, listen, I think, number one, the futures, as I said on Friday, this is a watershed event. One of the biggest concerns that I've always had and clients always ask me is, what keeps you up at night? Regulation or, more importantly, a ban, a total ban on Bitcoin trading. There, it, this puts that pretty much off the table. There's very little chance that the SEC or the CFTC is going to come in and say, you know but what? Not regulation. The, so. I'm, I'm, not saying, well, I'm saying ban it, right? Uh, that, would, that would concern could me. But with do the, that? I mean, could anybody? No, not anymore. I mean, well, one. Yeah, so you're, let's go back because it's an important point. Yeah. Your point is that the fact that the CME and CBOE and probably others are getting in on this make it less likely that governments will come in with the, the U.S. government and comes shut, in and, and says, shut it down, shut it down. Try it, which is the biggest right or try to shut it down. It's kind of likely like, you get regulation. Yeah, well, there are regulations, right? I mean, all the rules that apply to investments apply to this. I mean, we have these rules for a reason. You can't defraud somebody. You, you can't sell a security without you know, registering it. All those rules still apply, even though this technology is new. My biggest concern is the U.S. government came down and said, you know what? It's illegal to hold Bitcoin, and you can't trade it anymore. With these three exchanges offering these things, I think that's off the table, and institutions are going to flood into this market. What about your crypto portfolio breakdown? My my, my crypto portfolio breakdown is a little more diversified. I've got a bit of Bitcoin cash. I've got a bit of Bitcoin, about half and half right now. Ethereum, Ethereum Classic, which I know is a bit of a, uh, a, you know, a controversy there. Um, and then I've got a couple others. The other portion of it are, are smaller cryptocurrencies that we trade in. But I think, again, you make this a bet on the cryptocurrency space as an asset class maturing, not just Bitcoin. Bitto Bitcoin. A bit of Bitcoin. I've got a bit of Bitcoin. You got a bit of it's Bitcoin. It's like a bit of honey. A bit of honey. A bit it's of, a, good, yeah, it's exactly. a quality candy. Yeah. Chew it for hours. Mm. All right, guys, thank you. Still ahead, Facebook has a new target. The social media giant launching a messaging app, get this, for kids age 6 to 12. Really, Facebook? Oof. We'll dig in. Plus, a mega deal proposed between CBS and Aetna. Could that set the stage for more healthcare M&A? If so, we'll let you know who the next takeover target might be. 
Fast Money rolls on right after this. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Your big deal of the day, literally CVS buying health insurer Aetna for about $69 billion. It's an acquisition that will be the biggest deal of the year and could reshape healthcare entirely. Bertha Coombs working a very long day, Bertha. I know you're on air at like 5 a.m. or 6 a.m., so we appreciate you sticking around. Yeah, Guy and I have been mining, mining this deal all day. $69 billion is a record price for a healthcare deal, and Aetna and CVS are really proposing an ambitious model. Analysts in the call today actually asked, well, how should we think about this combined company now? Is it going to be a pharmacy with health benefits on the side or a benefits firm with retail on the side? In a CNBC exclusive this morning on Squawk Box, CVS CEO Larry Merlo and Aetna chief Mark Bertolini say it's a whole new hybrid. They're going to let the 9,700 stores to create a one-stop shopping for basic medical care, prescriptions, health coaching, and help navigating your benefits. It's really the perfect time to bring these two companies together to create a new healthcare platform that can be easier to use and less expensive for consumers. We can make the insurance the back room of the operation. We can waive prior authorizations. We can waive co-pays as people use the system in a way that's more effective. So the retail stores is the unique part, but the combined pharmacy and medical benefits is a growing trend. United Health has really been a leader on this. They've gained share, giving people better prices. Anthem is going in that direction, and one benefits consultant says it's going to make it harder for employers to try to get competitive prices for putting the pieces together the way they want from here on out. To finance this deal, though, CVS is borrowing $45 billion, promising that they'll be able to bring that debt down within a couple of years. Uh, S&P and Fitch have both put them on credit watch negative. But Moody's, you guys, this afternoon came out saying that they think this is going to be transformative for the healthcare landscape. They think that this is going to pressure pharma in particular because as they bring out that middleman cost, they're going to be able to really squeeze pharma for better prices. Are you hearing anything, Bertha, about the risks? DOJ? I mean, the AT&T Time Warner comes to mind. That's what everybody is talking about. I mean, there's certainly a certain amount of risk. It could reduce a little bit of uh, choice for employers. Again, because if you've got all the big guys now saying, nope, we're putting the PBMs within our store, and you've got to go with both the health benefits and medical benefits together, that's going to reduce some choice for large employers. But at the same time, they're probably going to get better pricing as a result of that. And then this whole use of the stores as kind of more primary care. The Minute Clinic is great, by the way. Not, it, not it endorsing is, it. I've, I've used it many times. I, I've used all of them. I mean, I've used all of them. <laughs> I use Doctor on Demand. It certainly is great for, for consumers. You have all these other choices that can be cheaper. But if they really start encroaching on more primary care, you're, you're going to hear from doctors who are going to complain about that. Yeah. Right now, it's just a nurse there, I believe. Bertha Coombs, thank you very much. Super long day. Appreciate that. I'm ignoring your comments, Seymour. <laughs> a main driver of the CVS Aetna deal could be, yeah, who else? Amazon, right? Healthcare and pharmacy companies have been wary of Amazon since late October when it was revealed that the company had gained wholesale pharmacy licenses in multiple U.S. states. It sent a big shutter through the space. So with the possible, possible Amazon expansion into healthcare, what, Steve Grasso, might be the next deal? So the C everyone says that that was the reason for the CVS deal. Like they, you know, and then they'll tell you that CVS was having talks prior to this, so it wasn't really the catalyst. It had to be the catalyst, in my opinion. But you have to look at a, a name like Express Scripts, pharmacy benefit managers. Those are the ones that reacted well today. The other HMOs, the other managed care, they didn't act so well. Follow what the market's telling you.
Yeah, and I think that's, you know, the, 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 the reason I brought up the Minute Clinic, Guy Dami, was not, it was because if they can contain the healthcare cost, because it's a very specialized niche. You know, if you've got a broken leg, you're going to the emergency room, you got a little cough, you don't want to go to the ER, super, super expensive. The Minute Clinic is a nurse, they can prescribe if you need some basic medication, and therefore the combined company can keep costs down. One-stop shopping, makes a lot of sense. Does it work? And then, by the way, you're there, you pick up some Coca-Cola or whatever. It does work, you have the impulse buy at the yeah. end. So what's the next potential deal? Well, Walmart has a relationship <laughs> with Humana. So the question is, does Walmart stop dating Humana and do they marry him? And I think there's a chance that that happens. I'm not saying it will happen, but if you look, all these stocks, Humana, Aetna, uh, United Health, they're all relatively now expensive valuation-wise, getting ahead of its skis. And the way these stocks traded today was not particularly well. But with that said, I think if you're looking for something in the space that makes sense, Humana is the one I'd go to. Okay, watching Humana, guys. Thank you very much. All right, still ahead. It is not just a healthcare deal day. There's also healthcare chatter, or rather media chatter in the media space, Setting some of those stocks soaring today, the bulls piling into one of these names in particular. We've got the potential details on those deals. Plus, Facebook launching a new messaging app that is geared toward children. But will its new endeavor actually attract a younger audience? And should they do this at all? Talk more about it when Fast Money rolls on. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Facebook is launching Facebook Messenger for kids. And that's causing quite a stir. Julia Borston is live in Los Angeles. More, Julia. Brian, the new app called Messenger Kids is designed for 6 to 12-year-olds. It allows parents to approve who kids can message and video chat with. And it allows parents to control the app from their own Facebook account. The free app will have no ads or in-app purchases, which means Facebook won't be making any money off the service. For now, it also won't automatically transfer kids to either its regular messenger service or Facebook when they turn 13. Now, Facebook is just the latest to target kids and tweens. Google introduced Family Link in March for parents to set up Google accounts for kids under age 13. And Amazon has kid-focused skills, which parents can activate for its Echo Smart speakers. Now, ultimately, Facebook is looking to lock in users before they get hooked on Snapchat, which is known for strong engagement with teens. eMarketer reports that Snapchat has more 12 to 17-year-old users than Facebook does in the U.S., Snap surpassing its much larger rival in this key demographic in the U.S. for the first time this year, and eMarketer predicts that Snap will widen its lead in coming years. But as Facebook looks to appeal to the youngest demographic and their parents, it is up against concerns, including concerns about screen time and also protecting their children's privacy and potential exposure to inappropriate content. Brian, back over to you. All right, Julia Borston, thank you very much. Uh, Guy Dami, we all have kids yes, up here. Yes, we do. What, what do you think of this? I think it's terrible. I mean, to talk about, do they... Kids should be outside playing. I mean, I don't want to get up on my pedestal here, but the last thing You're they need it. is to be, well, I'm on it, but do they need it? How, how old are these kids to be in front of a screen? You've got to limit the screen safely. time, guys. Yeah, you got to limit a lot of things limit in my opinion. Time. So that's, I think Facebook missed the boat on this one. And let's talk about the stock real quick. It's obviously down from 184 to 171. We mentioned it at the top of the show, but I think there are more problems for Facebook. I wouldn't be surprised if they get called up back to Capitol Hill and you start getting some headlines as this, as this whole, you know, Russia thing starts to percolate as well. 
and if Facebook was somehow complicit or not complicit or should have been doing more. So I think the, the short-term outlook for Facebook, for me, is to the downside. Yeah, to, and to, look, investors didn't care. Stock down 2%. Yeah, to me, this is more of a, a problem for Snap. I mean, we know every single day Zuckerberg's waking up going, how do I crush Snap? How do I crush Snap? How do I crush Snap? And this is another way to do it. So, you know, it's just unless Snap comes up with something new, they started as apparently a, a phone company. Now there's something else. I think this has continued to be a, a huge problem for them. Okay. Shifting gears. Disney jumping 5% today. Options traders are betting on more gains ahead. Why do we say that? Well, Michael Coe in Austin, Texas knows, and he's here to break down the action. Mike. Hi there. Yeah, so Disney traded over 105,000 call contracts. That's over four times the average daily volume for Disney. Where we saw a lot of that activity at midday was the January 110 calls and later the March 115 calls. And the translation is that options traders think that Disney could test the 115.84 highs that we saw earlier this year. All right, Mike Coe, Mike Coe in Austin, Texas. Guys, thank you very much. Looking at Disney, all right, up next, we've got your final trade around the horn. Stick around. All right, time now for our final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim Seymour. Yeah, we talked about the big run in telco stocks. I think AT&T looks great, except for, I think, around 38 bucks. You take profits, I'm out. DK? You know, in the beginning of the portion of the show, you talked about the financials, and I think you sell some Goldman Sachs here, possible double top. Not every day you can invent a word. That's right. Miriam Webster. That's why you have you to much. watch Fast Money. New Steve, stuff every day. Steve Grasso. So we talked a lot about tax reform. We talked about rotation. Something that has been a performer, a, a leader, has been Pulte Homes, the home builders. It's up 87% wow. year to date. You don't see any sign of rotation out of that. Pulte Homes, I'm still in. And Guy Adami. It's been great having you with us. Friday, Monday, yeoman's work by Special. you, Brian. Yeah. I think on behalf Special. of all. Do you have a pick? <laughs> Micron, MU. I think it might have, you might, might have flushed itself out. Well said. Thank you. Guy, thank you, and thank you for the compliments. <laughs> Guys, we'll see you again at 5 o'clock tomorrow. Mad Money with Jim Cramer begins right now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.